Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and blessings, and welcome to another installment of the Just for Freedom of Space. This show is produced by acclaimed historian, educator, and author Leslie Gist, and serves as our weekly live online discussion to celebrate the African American experience by honoring all the people, past and present, black and white, who, with faith and focus, are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347-324-5552. Good evening, everyone. My name is Preston Washington. I'm your host this evening for the Gift of Freedom, where you, where we bring you American history via the black experience. Tonight we're going to continue our discussion, reading and discussion of the William Still book, The Underground Railroad. And uh, that book was published in 1871. And uh, I want to remind you that we're coming to you over www.blocktalk.com radio backslash the gift of freedom. Also a reminder that the shows are available and uh, for free by way of iTunes and you can pick those up at Black History University The reading that we're going to listen to tonight is quite a contrast from what we heard in our last broadcast, which involved an escaped slave who was captured again, escaped again, a lot of intrigue, double-dealing, informants, shootouts, and... um, Constable being killed, etc. Tonight we have a love story for you where a gentleman escapes on a cold and dreary night during the wintertime, taking along with him a tintype picture of his wife, a lock of her hair, and also included a lock of hair from each of his children. And he practically froze himself stiffs in making his escape by the time that the members of the vigilance committee caught up with him. But also remind you that you should want to contact Leslie Giz, become a friend of hers on Facebook. That's Leslie Giz, that's L-E-S-L-E-Y-G-I-S-T. You can also reach her via email at leslie at thegiftoffreedom.com. I can be reached there as well. Preston at thegiftoffreedom.com. That's G-I-S-T, freedom spelled out, dot com. I want to read to you a little bit from the Facebook page 
that describes a little bit of what we're going to listen to this evening. The bleeding heart of the husband resolved to escape at all hazards, taking with him a tent-type likeness of his wife, which he happened to have on hand, and a lock of her hair from her head and from each of the children. as mementos of his unbounded affection for them. After crossing the river, his wet clothing freezing to him, he rode all night a distance of 40 miles. In the morning, he left his faithful horse tied to a fence, quite broken down. He then commenced his dreary journey on foot, cold and hungry, in a strange place, where it was quite unsafe to make known his condition and wants. Thus for a day or two, without food or shelter, he traveled until his feet were literally worn out. And in this condition, he arrived at Harrisburg, where he found friends. Passing over many of the interesting incidents on the road. Suffice it to say, he arrived safely in this city on New Year's night, 1857, about two hours before daybreak. Telegraph having announced his coming from Harrisonburg, Harrisburg, having been a week on the way. The night he arrived was very cold. Besides, the underground train that morning was about three hours behind time. And waiting for him, entirely waiting for him, I'm sorry, entirely out in the cold, a member of the vigilance committee thought he was frosted. So we see here there was quite a lot of hazards facing individuals who were escaping from slavery to freedom. Uh, This particular escape happened in 1857 and um, was quite hazardous in his escape. Again, the book uh, written by William Steele, The Underground Railroad, it's an 800-page book is very detailed. Uh, William Still, along with the Vigilance Committee, kept detailed records in terms of what they confronted, how they helped, how they got individuals to Canada, how those individuals became citizens of Canada, ensuring that they would not uh, be returned to slavery after having gained Canadian citizenship. We're just about ready to start, but I want to explain to you that this committee, the um, Vigilance Committee, was a hybrid of what we now know today as NAACP and also has uh, a bit of history in the Black Panther movement. where they attempted to use the law, and when the law failed them, they resorted to defense by force. And that would account for a number of the shootouts that occurred uh, during that era. Um, The Vigilance Committee basically became a black militia, which had both black and white members, 
and who also suffered. Some of them went to court. Some of them were shot, killed. Some of them did time. It was a national organization. They were in several states, mostly in the north and northeast, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, New York, uh, Baltimore, Maryland, etc. And again, that underground railroad went all the way to Canada, various stations along the way, very extensive network. They provided money, uh, food, clothing, etc. In addition to the book written by William Still, one of the gentlemen who was part of John Brown's posse also wrote a book. And even though there were two or three black individuals um, who accompanied John Brown on his raid on Harper's Ferry, and only one of those individuals, only one of those black individuals, in fact, he was the only one to survive uh, that attack. And we'll have his name for you after this uh, reading, which is about 15 minutes. So let's read, or listen, as you will. Take notes and be ready to discuss when we get back. And we will have it on the air in just a minute. Section 29 of the Underground Railroad, Part 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lee Smalley. The Underground Railroad, Part 1 by William Still. Section 29. Robert Brown, Anthony Loney, and Cornelius Scott, Samuel Williams. Robert Brown, alias Thomas Jones, crossing the river on horseback in the night. In very desperate straits, many new inventions were sought after by deep-thinking and resolute slaves, determined to be free at any cost. But it must here be admitted that, in looking carefully over the more perilous methods resorted to, Robert Brown, alias Thomas Jones, stands second to none with regard to deeds of bold daring. This hero escaped from Martinsburg, Virginia, in 1856. He was a man of medium size, mulatto, about 38 years of age, could read and write, and was naturally sharp-witted. He had formerly been owned by Colonel John F. Franey, whom Robert charged with various offenses of a serious domestic character. Furthermore, he also alleged that his mistress was cruel to all the slaves, declaring that they, the slaves, could not live with her, that she had to hire servants, etc. In order to effect his escape, Robert was obliged to swim the Potomac River on horseback on Christmas night while the cold wind, storm, and darkness were indescribably dismal. This daring bondman, rather than submit to his oppressor any longer, periled his life as above stated, where he crossed the river was about a half-mile wide. Where could be found in history a more noble and daring struggle for freedom? The wife of his bosom and his four children, only five days before he fled, were sold to a trader in Richmond, Virginia, for no other offense than simply because she had resisted the lustful designs of her master, being true to her own companion. 
After this poor slave mother and her children were cast into prison for sale, the husband and some of his friends tried hard to find a purchaser in the neighborhood, but the malicious and brutal master refused to sell her, wishing to gratify his malice to the utmost, and to punish his victims all that lay in his power. He sent them to the place above named. In this trying hour, the severed and bleeding heart of the husband resolved to escape at all hazards, taking with him a daguerreotype likeness of his wife, which he happened to have on hand, and a lock of hair from her head, and from each of the children, as mementos of his unbounded, though sundered, affection for them. After crossing the river, his wet clothing freezing to him, he rode all night, a distance of about forty miles. In the morning he left his faithful horse tied to a fence, quite broken down. He then commenced his dreary journey on foot, cold and hungry, in a strange place, where it was quite unsafe to make known his condition and wants. Thus, for a day or two, without food or shelter, he traveled until his feet were literally worn out, and in this condition he arrived at Harrisburg, where he found friends. Passing over many of the interesting incidents on the road, suffice it to say, he arrived safely in this city on New Year's night, 1857, about two hours before daybreak, the telegraph having announced his coming from Harrisburg, having been a week on the way. The night he arrived was very cold. Besides, the underground train that morning was about three hours behind time. In waiting for it, entirely out in the cold, a member of the Vigilance Committee thought he was frosted, but when he came to listen to the story of the fugitive's sufferings, his mind changed. Scarcely had Robert entered the house of one of the committee, where he was kindly received, when he took from his pocket his wife's likeness, speaking very touchingly while gazing upon it and showing it. Subsequently, in speaking of his family, he showed the locks of hair referred to, which he had carefully rolled up in paper separately. Unrolling them, he said, This is my wife's. This is from my oldest daughter, eleven years old. And this is from my next oldest. And this from the next. And this from my infant, only eight weeks old. These mementos he cherished with the utmost care as the last remains of his affectionate family. At the sight of these locks of hair so tenderly preserved, the members of the committee could fully appreciate the resolution of the fugitive in plunging into the Potomac on the back of a dumb beast in order to flee from a place and people who had made such barbarous havoc in his household. His wife, as represented by the likeness, was of fair complexion, prepossessing, and good-looking, perhaps not over 33 years of age. Anthony Loney, alias William Armstead Anthony had been serving under the yoke of Waring Talbert of Richmond, Virginia. Anthony was of a rich black complexion, medium size, about 25 years of age. He was intelligent and a member of the Baptist Church. His master was a member of the Presbyterian Church and held family prayers with the servants. But Anthony believed seriously that his master was no more than a whitened sepulchre, one who was fond of saying, Lord, Lord, but did not do what the Lord bade him. Consequently, Anthony felt that before the great judge, his master's many prayers would not benefit him, as long as he continued to hold his fellow men in bondage. He left a father, Samuel Loney, and mother, Rebecca, also one sister and four brothers. His old father had bought himself and was free. Likewise, his mother, being very old, had been allowed to go free. Anthony escaped in May 1857. Cornelius Scott 
Cornelius took passage per the Underground Railroad in March 1857 from the neighborhood of Salvington, Stafford County, Virginia. He stated that he had been claimed by Henry L. Brooke, whom he declared to be a hard drinker and a hard swearer. Cornelius had been very much bleached by the patriarchal institution, and he was shrewd enough to take advantage of this circumstance. In regions of country where men were less critical and less experienced than Southerners as to how the bleaching process was brought about, Cornelius Scott would have had no difficulty whatever in passing for a white man of the most improved Anglo-Saxon type. Although a young man only 23 years of age and quite stout, his fair complexion was decidedly against him. He concluded that for this very reason he would not have been valued at more than $500 in the market. He left his mother, Ann Stubbs, and half-brother, Isaiah, and traveled as a white man. Samuel Williams, alias John Williams This candidate for Canada had the good fortune to escape the clutches of his mistress, Mrs. Elvina Duncans, widow of the late Reverend James Duncans, who lived near Cumberland, Maryland. He had very serious complaints to allege against his mistress, who was a member of the Presbyterian Church. To use his own language, the servants in the house were treated worse than dogs. John was 32 years of age, dark chestnut color, well-made, prepossessing in appearance, and he fled to keep from being sold. With the Underground Railroad, he was highly delighted. Nor was he less pleased with the thought that he had caused his mistress, who was one of the worst women who ever lived, to lose $1,200 by him. He escaped in March 1857. He did not admit that he loved slavery any the better for the reason that his master was a preacher or that his mistress was the wife of a preacher. Although a common farmhand, Samuel had common sense, and for a long time previous had been watching closely the conduct of his mistress, and at the same time had been laying his plans for escape on the Underground Railroad, the first chance. $100 reward. My Negro man Richard has been missing since Sunday night, March 22nd. I will give $100 to anyone who will secure him or deliver him to me. Richard is 30 years old, but looks older, very short legs, dark but rather bright color, broad cheekbones, a respectful and serious manner, generally looks away when spoken to, small mustache and beard, but he may have them off. He is a remarkably intelligent man and can turn his hand to anything. He took with him a bag made of Brussels carpet, with my name written in large, rough letters on the bottom, and a good stock of coarse and fine clothes, among them a navy cap and a low-crowned hat. He has been seen about New Kent, C.H., and on the Pumunkey River, and is no doubt trying to get off in some vessel bound north. April 18, 1857, J.W. Randolph, Richmond, Virginia. Even at this late date, it may perhaps afford Mr. R. a degree of satisfaction to know what became of Richard. But if this should not be the case, Richard's children or mother or father, if they are living, may possibly see these pages and thereby be made glad of learning of Richard's wisdom as a traveler in the terrible days of slave hunting. Consequently, here is what was recorded of him April 3, 1857, at the Underground Railroad Station, just before a free ticket was tendered him for Canada. Richard is 33 years of age, small of stature, dark color, smart and resolute. He was owned by Captain Tucker of the United States Navy, from whom he fled. He was tired of serving and wanted to marry, was the cause of his escape. 
He had no complaint of bad treatment to make against his owner. Indeed, he said that he had been used well all his life. Nevertheless, Richard felt that this underground railroad was the greatest road he ever saw. When the war broke out, Richard girded on his knapsack and went to help Uncle Sam humble Richmond and break the yoke. End of section 29. Recording by Lee Smalley. There you have it, a um, few stories uh, that appear in the book by William Steele called The Underground Railroad. I mentioned before uh, there was a long survivor of the raid on John Brown's, uh, that was with John Brown on the raid of Harper's Ferry. That gentleman's name was Osborne Carey Anderson. And Mr. Anderson also wrote a book. And um, let me read just a little bit about that book. In 1861, Anderson, now safely in the North, wrote A Voice from Harper's Ferry with assistance from Mary Ann Shad, in which he described his role in the raid and argued that many local slaves would have welcomed their liberation and some, in fact, had helped Brown and his men. Anderson's account was the only one published by a member of Brown's party and provided a rare first-hand description of the events and the motivation of those abolitionists. And um, he was a black survivor, and he was one of the five blacks who assisted, who rode with John Brown on that raid uh, to Harper's Ferry which calls to mind, again, the movie that was made not too long ago, uh, the movie uh, Django. And the movie Django, Django was based on one of the five, gentleman by the name of Nubi. Uh, character was inspired by Mr. Nubi, who was a member of uh, John Brown's party. And Nubi had a wife, um, that was uh, similar to the white in the movie Django. So a little bit of um, historical matter mixed up in that fictional account um, based on the life of Mr. Newby, who rode with Mr. Brown in that raid on Harper's Ferry, which eventually culminated was a contributing factor to the Civil War. Uh, not quite to the expectations of John Brown. He expected to incite a major revolt amongst black slaves, arm them uh, with the arms that they would uh, get from their raid on Harper's Ferry. Uh, but as we know, uh, they fell short. But then again, we have a black perspective of American history from the black experience, uh, thanks to Osborne Perry Anderson and uh, the book that he wrote describing his participation in the raid on Harper's Ferry, a voice from Harper's Ferry. And he was assisted by Mary Ann Shad, 
who herself uh, was an escaped slave who was living in Canada at the time. I would encourage our listeners to get the book. Uh, you can also read it online. Uh, go to your favorite search engine. I prefer Google. Put in the title, A Voice from Harper's Ferry. You can also read uh, Still's book online. You can also purchase that book and add it to your library, your family library, on this American history by way of a black experience. I believe that book is available on Google. A number of my friends on Facebook have purchased that book and post excerpts every now and then. And um, later on in your collection, your book collections and other collections and memorabilia that you have of uh, the black experience here in the United States, you may want to bequeath that to the Black Library Repository. Uh, for instance, the Schomburg uh, Library of Black History in New York City, or if you have a local library in your area, so that these things can be uh, preserved for future generations. If you have any uh, Obama artifacts, you want to preserve those as well, as well with any of your own writings and books. It's our responsibility to start creating this history and creating uh, textbooks for our children from primary sources, such as William Steele's book, The Underground Railroad, um, Osborne Perry Anderson's book, and uh, those histories should also include your personal account of these historical events or the historical events that you're involved in right now, a few years ago, etc. Uh, you've witnessed a lot. If you lived in the 60s, in the 1960s, during the civil rights movements, you have pictures that aren't out in the general population. Record your story. There's a lot of local libraries, such as a library here in my area, where you can go in and tape record your history. And you can write that history down. Uh, write it in your own hand. Not just the type version, but put it in your hand. Leave it for your children and your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, etc. American history from a black experience. Family Bibles. How many Bibles, when you talk to the elders, how many Bibles got destroyed in a fire? If you have these Bibles, protect them. Protect those Bibles with all of that history. Record your births, your deaths, your weddings, etc. In those family Bibles. Preserve them. Uh, Keep track of obituaries from funerals. I had a great aunt in Oklahoma that had two or three crates of obituaries. That's what she did. She went to funerals and she 
kept all the obituaries. And I was very fortunate to have those obituaries, as she said, lined up in my hands. Uh, pamphlets, programs from those funerals. Um, photo albums. Do you have photo albums, folks, that you're preserving your photos in? Uh, you can purchase photo albums, get those pictures in there. Um, you can download them into your computer. Pictures, um, put them on flash drives. Um, you want to get them to where they can't be destroyed and where there are multiple places that your descendants can go uh, to find uh, this information. We uh, here at the Gist of Freedom would want you to support black artists and get signed autographed first editions of their works. Take pictures with the artist. Take pictures with athletes if you know any. Um, this is what we would encourage you to do. Insist that you do. Uh, we have to tell our own narrative. We of African-American descent in this country we have to develop our own narrative and not rely on Hollywood or others who do not have the direct experience to write our narrative, to tell our story. Encourage our children when they go off to school to major in history. Um, the reason we're coming up with this, I don't know if you've heard recently how the state of Texas are changing the history books and removing the words slave trade, calling it something else. They're rewriting history, ladies and gentlemen, starting in the state of Texas. How many states do you think will follow suit to rewrite the history like slavery never existed? So these books that we're talking about, the books that we bring you and the history that we're bringing you through the gifts of freedom have to be saved, put away. Um, the voice of Alex Haley, who wrote the book, Roots, his voice can be heard on the gifts of freedom. Get to the gifts of freedom. Get to the blackhistoryuniversity.com and download these iTunes of the programs that we've presented to you here. You can also Google Alex Haley and the Gist of Freedom to listen. Share these shows with your children. Are you homeschooling your children? Do you want them to have first account um, history, black history? And get to the blackuniversity.com. Download some of those iTunes. And even those children who are in public school should still be homeschooled. Should still be homeschooled if they're attending a public school. Public education should only be a supplement to what it is that we're providing our children. 
maybe an hour or two, 90 minutes or two, okay, to homeschool. Homeschool that's vital American history from a black experience. You know, again, a lot of gym and lunchtime and controlling the children in the public school. Be pretty doubtful as to how much education is really taking place. It's probably more indoctrination being practiced in our school system. Indoctrinate means to put in. To educate means to point Someone that they're with and they're listening to the program. Um, Caller, if you wish to call in, call us back and we can let you have your say, question, or comment. Anyone else listening, if you have a question or comment, you can do that at 347 324 5552. And we've been going over a lot of information here, encouraging our listeners to. Okay, it seems like we have uh, several callers, but some of them are very shy, and that's okay. You can just listen uh, to the program, to the reading, to what I'm saying here. Uh, Most people that come in just listen. And that's okay. And you were listening to several stories of escape uh, from the reading of William Steele's Underground Railroad book. Uh, The book called The Underground Railroad, published in 1871. Other things in the news that we have been talking about, um, we don't want to forget about justice for Trayvon Martin. Also saw in the news where Mr. Zimmerman's wife, the gentleman who was acquitted in the Trayvon um, Martin case, his wife has filed for divorce, just filed for divorce, uh, just two months after he was acquitted. And uh, we can uh, surely believe that there's a story behind that and as soon as it know, is known, I'm sure that our executive producer, Ms. Leslie Guess, is going to have it for you here uh, firsthand. And, uh, again, that divorce is coming two months after she took the stand and apparently lied on his behalf, providing him with an alibi, etc., And um, can't wait till that uh, story to come out. 
scenes, Mr. Zimmerman was again uh, stopped since his acquittal for speeding. However, this time he was ticketed. <clears throat> Excuse me. Probably not going to find an easy way out of some of his uh, untoward behavior um, now that he's been acquitted. And apparently, he wanted the state of Georgia also to uh, pay his attorney fee. And it was suggested maybe uh, the people who acquitted him, the jurors, should probably pay his attorney fee. We don't want to overlook the heroine. Uh, Antoinette Tuff, who uh, recently there in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, stopped a crazed gunman from firing his gun within a school system. We understand also that she has had a day named for her in Georgia after her. So there will now be an annual Antoinette Tuff, that's T-U-F-F, day in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, the March on Washington. Uh, by the way, that's another story that needs to be preserved, the story of Antoinette Tuff, a story preserved for our children. And she is part of our history, and she is someone that we, black folk, can define as a heroine as a hero, a shero. We can write that story. We can write that narrative. And we should do that by all means. Not wait for the media. You're going to wait for Fox News to do this? Where they're fabricating, using actors to report on the war what's going on in Syria, they're paying actors, and we expect them to write our narrative. We're going to have to do it, folks. We're going to have to write our own narrative or it's just not going to get done. Share our stories with one another. Coming here on Block Talk Radio, the gift of freedom, to share these stories. Stop waiting on the schools to do it especially there in Texas, as I indicated earlier, who are changing the history books. And Texas, don't think that other states won't follow suit. Texas is the largest purchaser of school books in this country. So don't think other school districts across this country won't follow suit. We have to start demanding that our PTA, Parent Teachers Association, start settling telling these stories, talking to the school board, getting a seat on curriculum committees, push for book fairs in your community, um, book fairs that present artists bringing in their works uh, and have black artists visit these book fairs. You have to be vigilant. Google the Vigilance Committee there in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Vigilance, folks, that's a key word. They were very vigilant in getting these people from the south to the north, to Canada, writing detailed histories. You notice some of those descriptions were very detailed into uh, complexion, 
education level, what they were wearing, uh, etc. I want to remind you that Leslie uh, Guest, our executive producer, has put a video online in reference to the Eden, E-D-E-N, cemetery and what's happening to not only the Eden Cemetery, Mother Bethel Cemetery, and other cemeteries in metropolitan areas. They're having playgrounds uh, built over them. Here in my area, uh, we discovered a cemetery uh, that the police shooting range is built over. Um, So what's going on in your community around black cemeteries? Um, What's the story there? What's the narrative that needs to be brought out? What's the story? Uh, Get a hold of that video. Go to Google and uh, Google um, black cemeteries or Leslie Gist black cemeteries. Eden there has done an entire textbook on the black historical icons that are buried there at Eden and also at Mother Bethel uh, Cemetery. Um, Let's get this story out there, folks. William Steele and his family are buried there as well. Um, Read about William Steele and his family and their escape from slavery. Marian Anderson buried there. Not sure if that's Eden or Bethel. I'll find that out for you here in just a minute. Uh, but Marian Anderson, she's buried at Eden, E-D-E-N, Cemetery, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Eden, E-D-E-N. Write it down, folks. Google it. Find out about this history. Henrietta Bowers, Duterte, is also buried in Eden, another black historical iconic figure. She shipped fugitive escapees and coffins from the south to Canada, to the north before getting to Canada. Octavius Cato, another black iconic figure, buried at Eden Cemetery. He was the Malcolm X of the late 1880s, speaking out, calling other leaders to task, calling other black folks to task for what it was they were not doing. He was the first millionaire, or the first millionaire, first black millionaire, buried at Eden Cemetery. Find out about these folks. And in learning this history, we learn about possibilities available to us today, to our children today, to our grandchildren and great-grandchildren, what they can aspire to um, getting to this history. And it's out there, folks. It's out there for us. Um, we're going to go back here and check our lines if you want to call in at 347-324-5552. 
you have a question or comment or to let us know what's going on in your area. Say it now. Whatever holds your peace, or we really don't want you to hold your peace. Okay, do I have a caller online? I hear you, caller. You have a question or comment? No, I'm just listening. Just listening? Okay. I'm just listening. Where are you listening from? I'm listening from Georgia. Georgia. What part of Georgia? Conyers, Georgia, outside of Atlanta. Okay. So you've been right I'm driving a big. I'm, 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 driving, I'm driving a big truck, so it's kind of hard for me to concentrate. So I'm just listening. Okay. Oh, yeah, you've been with us before, I believe. Have you been with us before? Okay. I lost that caller or trucker. Uh, I believe he called in uh, short two back. Um, so we'll leave him to his drive, and we really don't want to distract him by getting him involved in conversation. want to keep the road safe out there. Well, I want to thank all of you for uh, joining us this evening. Um, I'm your host, Preston Washington. I'm based out of Kansas City, Missouri. Our executive producer is Leslie Gist. We've been coming to you over www.blackhistoryblog.com. Also, visit um, Leslie's other websites, one of which is www. Very Black History dot uh, com. Also, keep in mind that these programs are available to you uh, free of charge on iTunes. www.blackhistoryuniversity.com. Uh, and if you go to um, www the gist of freedom dot com you can get to all of her websites with the exception of the iTunes, which is only available through blackhistoryuniversity dot com. You can also email her at Leslie, that's L E S L E Y Gist no Leslie at the Gist of Freedom dot com. I too can be reached at Preston at the gist of freedom dot com. If you have a comment or question or suggestions for topics that we should be discussing and presenting to you here on the gist of freedom. Again, I want to thank you for joining us here on the gist of freedom. I think it's time for me to say good night. Good night, everybody.